Hey, Hannah. Hey, Kate. How are you doing this Sunday evening? Monday evening. Monday it's evening. Monday evening. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I've just got my um, fake hot chocolate. Fake hot chocolate. I've got Organifi hot chocolate with mm. a little bit of protein powder. Well, I oh. also have fake hot chocolate. But my fake hot chocolate is Element hot chocolate. Mm. It's quite delicious. I did a lot of workouts this weekend that were like heavy on the sweating, you know? Yeah. So I, lost a, I feel like I lost a lot of that. Oh, those electrolytes. So, replenishing. Yeah, well, yeah. always good. Always good. <laughs> Ready to get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Howdy, Howdy from Houston. Houston. I'm Kate. And I'm Hannah. And today, we are talking about alcohol. So, this whole episode is going to be two parts. One will come out one week, and the one other one will come out the following week. The first part is facts. So, we both listened to... The Huberman Lab podcast, um, which Hannah has mentioned before mm-hmm. in her favorite podcasts. Um, this episode specifically is a review of the episode called What Alcohol Does to Your Body, Brain, and Health. So the first part of this series is going to be a review of the podcast, kind of just us discussing our favorite parts Mm -hmm. and like the things we found most interesting right the things we found most interesting and then the second part of the podcast series this little mini series is going to be our feelings so we both recently have cut back on drinking for a couple of different reasons and um just kind of talking about that and our reflections on the podcast yeah so yeah We'll just dive right in. Oh, one more thing is we want to inform and not scare. So I feel like sometimes when you hear things about things you consume regularly, like alcohol, or maybe if you eat a lot of sugar and and stuff like that, like you don't want to hear how bad it is for you Mm -hmm. because... You're like, well, I don't want to, I want to keep doing this. Well, (laughs) we are not here to scare you out or into doing anything. Just here to merely inform and educate because we believe that you should just know what's going on in your body and knowledge is power. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think we're, we're in a position to be like that judgmental role like in right. no way are we trying to do that you know we're just trying to share some interesting stuff that we've learned and definitely go and redirect you to this actual podcast and give it a listen I found it to be super interesting um as I do for most of the Huberman Lab episodes yeah uh but yeah it was great great episode good enough for us to feel like we just wanted to share what we learned from it with you guys yeah exactly so, Hannah, I guess I will let you start. Sure. What is something that you found really interesting about the podcast? Uh, well, so pretty early on in the episode, he describes what actually happens to alcohol in your body. So how alcohol is metabolized. Oh, and I guess like a quick note before we get into this too. Um, Dr. Huberman throughout the podcast is describing the effects of alcohol on your body from the perspective of chronic use. And he does a pretty good job of clarifying what chronic use means. Uh, so his definition uh, that he is using, I, I believe it's based off of the, the multiple studies that he's referencing and things throughout the episode. Um, chronic use is defined as one to two drinks per night on average. So that could look like exactly how it sounds, one to two drinks per night, so like a glass or two of wine Sunday through Saturday. Or it could be 
one to two drinks on average, but consumed all in the span of Saturday and Sunday or Friday night. So maybe that's seven drinks over the course, seven to 14 drinks over Friday and Saturday together, something like that. So anytime that it averages out to one to two drinks per night on average. Yeah, thank you for clarifying because chronic drinker could mean anything. Right, and I think a lot of people, like I also didn't know what chronic alcohol use or drinking was defined as you know I could have thought of that as like oh chronic meaning you're having six drinks a night you know that to me is like chronic has this really like negative connotation to it so like to me it's like a lot of alcohol so yeah recognizing like you know I know I know a lot of people who are retired have a glass of wine at dinner every night you know so and that's technically in this according to this study considered chronic use right so just to kind of give definition uh and reference to like some of the the things that we're going to talk about um as far as effects on the body it a lot of it is relating directly to chronic use of alcohol one to two drinks per night on average okay great so now that's out of the way Mm -hmm. uh one of the things that uh he addresses kind of right at the beginning is how alcohol is metabolized in the body so the type of alcohol that we drink uh, or consume as humans that is not just like completely lethal is ethyl alcohol or ethanol. Um, but that is, it's still a toxic substance to put into our bodies. Even though it's able to be metabolized by our bodies, it is definitely still a very toxic substance. Um, so when ethanol enters the body, it is converted from ethanol to acetyl acetate or acetaldehyde. It's got a couple of names. Um, and the cofactor, so the, the kind of the, the key that turns the switch, something that you need to convert it from ethanol to acetaldehyde is NAD. So NAD converts ethanol to acetaldehyde, which is poison. So acetaldehyde is, is the component of the alcohol breakdown that is going to be causing all of those like depressive effects. So the the drunkenness that you're feeling including like the the spike in like good feeling like that's all coming and originating from the acetaldehyde so that's like step two in the process of ethanol being metabolized so after it goes to acetaldehyde nad is used again to convert acetaldehyde to uh, oh sorry acetaldehyde to acetate so another process so acetate is not toxic and that is something that can be filtered out of our body without harm. So that whole process, one, two, three, you need NAD to do it. There is uh, a specific rate in which those reactions happen. And so obviously like if you've ever consumed alcohol, like you know that the rate in which you drink alcohol can also affect the rate in which the effects, you know, are set in, um, in your body. So that, that feeling of like drunkenness and whatnot, like all of those, um, effects, follow this very specific rate. So all of this is happening in the liver. And so if that rate is affected, meaning if you're consuming alcohol faster than you can metabolize it, there's gonna be a buildup of that acetaldehyde, which is again, that toxic substance that is causing all of the drunkenness effects in your body. So if there's a buildup of that, that that component is, like I say, you know, it's poison. It damages and kills cells regardless of what type of cell it is, no matter like if it's, you know, a muscle cell or a brain cell, like it's going to attack and, and, and break it down and damage it. So the longer that that, um, compound, you know, sits in your body, the more damage it's going to do. And this is all happening, like I said, in the liver, hence 
what you've always heard of liver damage associated with alcoholism. So I just really appreciated how he really broke that down kind of step by step, um, kind of being more of a, an objective uh, viewpoint. Yeah, for sure. And it's also nice to hear how it works because we hear a lot about, oh, alcohol is bad for your liver. Oh, alcohol cause is a, mm-hmm. is a toxin. Um, I mean, I've definitely heard of that before. I mean, it's literally a poison. I've heard that right. thrown on colloquially. Mm-hmm. It's cool to hear exactly how that is. And um, did he mention what might, what might be the component of it that causes hangovers? Uh, yeah, that's going to be the acetaldehyde. Al- acetaldehyde, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, so yeah. it goes ethanol, which is what you consume. So you have a beer or a glass of wine or some rum or something. I don't right. know, whatever type of alcohol you are consuming, it is all ethanol. <laughs> yeah, rum like Jack Sparrow. That's me what I thought of. Where's the rum? <laughs> exactly. So any, okay. any type of alcohol that you're going to consume, like that, that is ethanol. Like okay. that's the way your body interprets it. So yes. it's, ethanol comes in. It uses NAD to convert ethanol to acetaldehyde, which is the poisonous, more harmful toxin compound. Mm-hmm. Then acetaldehyde is converted, again, using NAD to acetate. Mm-hmm. And acetate, or acetic acid, that is what can be filtered out of your body without harm. Okay, perfect. Mm-hmm. So thank, that's you for, that, thank you that's for that's summarizing. Yeah. yeah, Pretty interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. It was just nice to have a good like overview of how that works. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Especially to start. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your first point? Um, my first point, I thought it was really interesting how he discussed long the long-lasting effects of impulsivity. So mm. we've all heard, you know, when you drink alcohol, you're a little more impulsive. Your decision-making capacity is impaired, and you might do things you wouldn't do if you were not drinking. Well, it turns out, so the way I think of neural pathways in your brain is if you have like some dirt and you run water down the dirt, Mm -hmm. stick with me, the water (laughs) at first doesn't have any indentation or make any line or anything i'm imagining like a, a third grade science project right third now. grade science like project. a tray of dirt and it's like at an angle and you're pouring water on cool. it it's like creating a little exactly river. It, it initially creates like a tiny little divot yeah. right it's like understanding erosion exactly <laughs> exactly and then you pour more and more water and so it, the divot gets deeper and deeper until you have a river mm-hmm. and so that's how i imagine neural pathways happen and neural pathways form so you initially have a new connection in your brain it can be good or bad mm-hmm. and then the more that connection happens the stronger that pathway gets so this can be really good in forming like new habits but it can also be really bad in forming new habits mm-hmm. like when so dr human was saying when you drink and you strengthen the pathway of impulsivity then over time if you're a chronic drinker, again, that's the one to two drinks per night on average, that pathway gets strengthened enough to where even when you're not drinking, you're displaying more impulsive behaviors mm. similar to when you are drinking. And obviously this happens chronically over a long period of time, so you might not notice it. Mm-hmm. But the his literature review has shown that this does happen, which is 
kind of a scary thought. So, like, the more you drink, the more impulsive you are when you're not drinking. Right. Yeah. Like, you're, you get used to driving down the same road on the highway. And so, even when you're not drinking, like, that, that pathway is still activated. It's, it, like, still readily available in a way. Exactly. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of a scary thought. But... He does mention that there is good news and that this is reversible. And if you don't drink anything for two to six months, uh, he says ideally longer, but two to six months, mm-hmm. you can go back to your original neuro circuits. So rebuild your impulse control, essentially. Right. I think what's interesting about that is drinking one to two drinks a night on average, like using this chronic use threshold, um, like, a lot of people, I, I, I think, would look at that and not think that that's that many drinks, you know? And so they might not even consider themselves to fall into that category of chronic use um, and therefore not even be considering that that pathway could be strengthened in them. You know, if you're, right. if you're not, like, if you're like, oh, well, I'm not an alcoholic, okay, sure. But if you're consuming one to two drinks on average per night, like, you're changing that pathway. Yeah. And you might be becoming a more impulsive person without even realizing it. Exactly. And again, this change happens little by little over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty easy to not realize. Right. It's not just like one week you have one to two drinks a night and... And boom, you're like, whoa, why can't I control all these thoughts about X, Y, Z? And you know, your thoughts obviously affect your emotions and that all affects your physical body and how you might be feeling. And Mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, little things can add up for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Hannah, what was the next thing that you... Sure, yeah, my my second point, I actually did mention this on that previous episode, um, Mm. but kind of getting into a little more detail about that comment, uh, how chronic consumption of alcohol affects your cortisol and therefore your stress levels. Um, This was the thing that really got me hooked on the episode because I was just really interested in this. Um, So again, with the chronic consumption of one to two drinks per night, what that can, or on average per night, what that can affect is your baseline levels of cortisol. So cortisol is going to be, uh, you know, the compound in your body that affects how you perceive stress, to put it simply. So the more cortisol you have, the more stress you feel, the less cortisol you have, the less stress you feel, just to kind of simplify it. So this chronic consumption of alcohol, it's going to elevate that level of cortisol in your body as a baseline, meaning your standard release of cortisol in your body on average even when you're not drinking that level of cortisol is going to be elevated compared to if you were not drinking at all so um meaning not consuming any alcohol not just your chronic use of one to two drinks per night so that chronic drinking raises that baseline level of cortisol so even when you are not consuming alcohol outside of the window of the you know the one to two drinks per night when you're sober that level of stress is going to be perceived as much much higher but you're you think it you think it's at your your baseline because you're like i'm not drinking Mm. this is my level of normal stress so then when you do consume alcohol alcohol is going to actually lower those levels while you're drinking so when you drink alcohol it lowers the levels of cortisol therefore you feel less stressed but when you have this chronic consumption all you're doing is bringing that elevated baseline down to a normal baseline so that you know that change in cortisol might be a similar delta but you're going from an elevated level to a normal level versus a normal level to a 
a lower level, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. And it makes me think about a lot of uh, like people who might feel really anxious mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And if they drink alcohol, then they're just making their lives a whole lot harder yeah. for themselves. Well, I think, you know, we hear it on TV shows and movies and even in social settings and just, you know, casual placing where people, you know, have a stressful day and they're like, man, I could really use a drink, you know, something like that. Um, because, you know, consuming alcohol is going to lower that level of cortisol. So, of course, you're going to initially feel less stressed when you have a drink. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they don't even, re- what, what I didn't realize and what I think a lot of people don't realize is if you're not drinking at all, that normal level of stress that you would be at, that normal level of cortisol would be lowered Yeah. without any alcohol consumption. Yeah, which is just... The whole caveat to the whole thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a cyclic thing, you know, because the more alcohol you drink chronically, the more your cortisol goes up, the more stressed you feel when you're not drinking, therefore you drink more to bring that cortisol level back down, increasing your alcohol consumption even more, yeah. raising your cortisol, cortisol baseline levels even more, you know, and it's just this cyclic, really dangerous, uh, you know, position to be in. Yeah, very unfortunate. Yeah, it's a little a little scary. So yeah, that was something that I found like super interesting because I didn't I didn't know that about alcohol. I didn't know either. Yeah. Yeah. All right, what about you? What's your next point? My next point is how it affects the gut liver brain access. So we've heard mm. about like the the gut brain connection. Um and this is uh specifically targeting the gut liver brain access. So your liver is where the alcohol is broken down. Mm-hmm. So that that's why that guy's important. And then the gut is where, obviously, the alcohol goes because you drink it. Mm-hmm. And then both of those pathways or systems communicate with your brain. So right. it's all kind of connected. And your, your gut and your liver are connected because everything in your gut gets then processed by your liver. Mm-hmm. So it's everything's interconnected. Right. So what happens when you drink the alcohol initially is it kills all the bacteria in your gut. So you've heard of using alcohol to sterilize wounds back in the day. Ouch. Yeah. Now we use hydrogen peroxide, which hurts a little bit less. (laughs) But back in the day, you know, you just throw a little alcohol in there and it kills all the bacteria. Mm -hmm. Well, you put a little alcohol in your gut, also kills all the bacteria. And... Nowadays, the gut microbiome is such a buzzword and of because it's such an important thing to be aware of. And having a really healthy gut microbiome has really great implications for your mental health and physical health and just overall body functioning. Yeah, I want to say we learned just recently that our bodies are made up of more bacteria than human cells. Yeah, and a lot of those bacteria are in your gut. Yeah. To help you digest food. I found that very fascinating. Yeah. Which is, and a it's little like, are scary. We, are we humans or are we bacteria? Are we? Yeah. That, that, wow. That could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> but yeah. So you got all these bacteria that are killing. So no bacteria to metabolize anything else. So on top of this, when you metabolize alcohol in your liver, like Hannah was talking about earlier, it releases all these inflammatory cytokines. So all these little inflammatory proteins are running around in your body saying there's a big problem. And 
it disrupts the gut lining, causing leaky gut. Um, if you haven't heard of leaky gut, that's where the bad bacteria can leak out from your gut into your bloodstream. And so in our body, there's lots of barriers, and these barriers are there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, we typically don't want bacteria in the bloodstream, but that's what happens. In addition to leaky gut, the inflammatory cytokines can get to your brain through neuroimmune signaling something he talks about where your brain communicates with your immune system basically Mm. so you have inflammatory cytokines in your brain and all around your body you have this leaky gut so the net effect of this is it disrupts the neuro circuits that regulate alcohol intake and then that causes increased alcohol consumption so you your body thinks you need more alcohol, so you drink more alcohol, which causes more leaky gut and more inflammation, which then causes you to think you need more alcohol. Mm. So it's kind of just like messing with the traffic signals. Exactly. Like if you're coming up to an intersection, you see the light. This light is just blinking all sorts of green, reds, and yellows. Yeah. And you don't know what's going on, and the solution your body has is thinking you need more alcohol. Yeah. Green light, go. More alcohol. Let's let's <laughs> let's get more of that. <laughs> um, he does say that something that can help with this, especially the leaky gut, is eating two to four servings of fermented foods per day. So he suggests kimchi, sauerkraut, natto, which is a Japanese food, mm. and yogurts with a lot of active bacteria. Note that these should all be low in sugar mm-hmm. and that if you are experiencing leaky gut or you drink alcohol regularly chronically as we've defined as the one to two per week on average you should be consuming these fermented foods pretty regularly to help with um leaky gut Mm. and maintaining that gut microbiome exactly yeah yeah i think in general people should probably be thinking about their gut yeah even if you don't drink alcohol it's always good to like like i mentioned before it's There's a lot of bacteria down there. There's a lot of bacteria, and there's a lot of research coming out about just how important it is. And more and more research is being done about, like, its effects on your body. Mm -hmm. So take care of your gut. Yeah. Yeah. Future future episode, maybe? Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) And that could be cool. That could be cool. (laughs) Um, So, Hannah, what is the other thing that you found interesting? Uh, Yeah. my, My final point that I found to be really interesting is, uh, I feel like what most people know about alcohol, knowing, you know, you've heard that alcohol is like a depressor, like it brings you down. And, and I think that can be kind of confusing because a lot of people, you know, when you first drink alcohol, maybe you experience like an elevated mood and then you feel bad later. And so Dr. Huberman goes through what that actually looks like in your body. So when you consume alcohol, Initially, kind of right off the bat, you experience this spike, in, is it a sharp incre- increase in dopamine and serotonin levels and a couple of other things too that just contribute to this overall happier, more energized, up feeling. Uh, and so you experience that kind of right at the beginning. So get a little bit of a, of a spike and then slowly you start to feel this, what he describes as a, a long and slow reduction of those things that make you feel good. So as you're reducing all those things that make you feel good, not only are those levels getting lower, like below a baseline level, but you're also 
falling from this peak. So you go from this peak down to this baseline to below baseline. So you're you're just falling this like low and steady decrease in feeling good. So that's kind of the way you're feeling emotionally while you're drinking um, for one drink, like while the alcohol is being metabolized. So what a lot of people will do, um, you know, they're craving that up feeling. So after one drink, you maybe start to like come down from that, uh, that spike of dopamine and serotonin. And so you go for another drink because you're starting to feel down. So you have another glass of wine or another beer or another shot or whatever it is. And, and you, you try to get that spike again. Um, and so that's kind of the pattern that I think a lot of people, you know, crave or start to follow, especially with the more chronic use in alcohol. Um, so associated with this is alcohol tolerance. So tolerance, you know, it's pretty standard definition of just, you know, you are less affected by something, right? So with the chronic use in, uh, of alcohol, this is, it's actually affecting both of those uh, two elements that we talked about. So the, the spike and that long and slow reduction. So the more you drink alcohol, the more chronic, chronically you drink it, that spike in dopamine and serotonin, it actually has a lower and lower and lower amplitude, meaning it's a lower and lower, lower spike. So one glass of wine, initially the first time you maybe drink it, it's gonna have this like spike up to 10 and then you, you're chronically using it. So now that spike only goes up to nine or now it goes only up to eight or seven, you know, and it's slowly getting lower and lower and lower. But at the same time, that long and slow reduction of dopamine and serotonin and all those things that make you feel good is getting longer and more drawn out and, and more there's that more intense feeling. So not only does chronic use uh, you know, decrease the good feeling, it extends the bad feeling. Mm, so that's it's not fun. Right. It goes back to that same like pattern that I think we've consistently seen talking on this episode about alcohol is this cyclic bad consumption of alcohol. Like the more you drink it, the worse it gets. Um, so I just found that to be like pretty, pretty interesting because I didn't, I didn't realize that it was, I mean, I understood the concept of tolerance, right? And I understood the concept of, yeah, alcohol makes you feel worse afterward or later, you know? Um, but I didn't realize the, you know, the chemical effects of it and how that spike gets lower and the duration of low feelings gets longer. Um, and so just that I think contributes to the tolerance, which then the really dangerous part of that is it can contribute to, um, an addiction. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely a, like a scary thing to know, but a very important thing to know, um, and understand. Yeah, well, and because addiction is, again, kind of like thinking about the neural pathways carving a path. Mm-hmm. Addiction is based on one of those neural pathways, and it comes from repeated use. And it's mm-hmm. so that's why addiction is a clinical disease, mm-hmm. because it's a new neural pathway that you've formed, and it can be really, really hard to reverse that or just mend that, really. Yeah, and um, I don't have the details in front of me, but I know that Dr. Huberman on the podcast talks a little bit about um, there's like genetic predispositions to being more addicted or like having having the potential to become addicted based on your genes. Um, so yeah. that's definitely something to think about too. Like I, I didn't go out and get a genetic panel done. You know, like I don't know if I'm in the category of potentially more predisposed to being addicted to something or not. 
Yeah. Um, and I think most people probably fall into that category of not knowing what their genes say about addiction. So yeah. it's definitely something to just be aware of um, on any level for any substance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just to stay safe. Yeah. All right, Kate, what was your final point from the podcast you found interesting? So my final point that I thought was interesting was how he mentions alcohol's effects on hormones. Specifically, he talks about estrogen and testosterone. Mm. So men and women both all have estrogen and testosterone. We just have different levels, Mm -hmm. obviously. So men have more testosterone, women have more estrogen. But it is still a careful balance in everyone's bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, And what he mentions is that the toxic metabolites of alcohol so that acetaldehyde acetaldehyde, yes thank you (laughs) is it causes an increased conversion of testosterone to estrogen in a bunch of different organs in your body so not just testicles like if you Mm -hmm. have testicles so it this can occur in the liver in the placenta if you are pregnant It can occur, of course, in testes and also in ovaries in females. And what he says is that in women, this could be the cause of a lot of estrogen-related cancers Mm. because too much estrogen can cause cancer. It can also, on just more of an everyday level, it can also cause really horrendous and painful periods. Mm. So, and a lot of, you know, just hormone imbalances can cause... A whole host of other issues. Um, in males, too much estrogen can cause growth of breast tissue, so more, mm-hmm. a little more fat in that area. In general, it can cause decreased sex drive in mm-hmm. both males and females, which is, I don't know, I don't think that's very ideal yeah, I mean, for most people. Adverse effect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I just thought that was interesting because. We don't often think about our hormone health. I I did with, not ever connect hormones to alcohol consumption. Yeah. I never really considered that um, as far as, you know, estrogen and testosterone levels um, until I listened to this podcast. Yeah, me either. And he was saying that there is a study out there or a couple of studies that say, like, small amounts of alcohol increase testosterone. So if you have, like, half a glass of wine, it can temporarily increase mm. your testosterone. But then over time with chronic use, like we've been discussing, mm-hmm. actually decreases overall testosterone. Wow. So Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, super fascinating. Um, but with all of these points, uh, definitely go back to the episode overall and just give it a whole listen um, how long was it? Like an hour and a half or something? It might have been closer to two hours, but I definitely listened to it in sections. I mm-hmm. didn't listen to it all at once. So did I. And I found that helpful to get through an episode that long. Yeah. If you're not used to listening to episodes that long. Yeah. Whatever type of podcast listener you are, you might be the two-hour type. You might be the 20-minute type. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm the I'm the two-hour type in 20-minute sections. So. <laughs> Same. Me too. Yeah. So definitely a great episode. A lot of interesting stuff. And... Uh, Dr. Huberman, I think, does a really good job of breaking things down um, into a language that's easy to understand, even if you don't have any kind of background in biology or anything like that. Um, so if things that we said today were a little confusing, definitely, yeah. <laughs> definitely listen to his explanation. He also does a great job of just stating facts and mm-hmm. pointing you to resources if you don't quite understand what he's saying, if he's getting a little bit too sciencey for your background. Right. 
Yeah. And just to reiterate again, like the whole point of sharing this podcast is to just share information and to not come from a judgmental perspective. Yeah. Just with the idea in mind that knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Yeah. All right, guys. I guess that wraps it up for this week's episode. We'll see you in the next part. Thanks for listening.